Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. It is great to see you. I mean, truly, um, thank you for being here. Uh, thank you to those who are watching online. We, we are so grateful for every one of you. Uh, I will say it like this. You're made in God's image and likeness, and that's enough. But that you would uh, take time to just prioritize um, a relationship with God, it means a lot. And today I really do feel like I, I have a burden and a weight from the Lord. And so I'm just going to ask that you just lean in just a little bit, get on the edge of your seat, and just be prepared to receive what I feel like uh, he is saying to us, to our homes, to this house, um, because it is, it is special. It's special. And let me, let me just start this way. How many of you enjoy getting forwarded email chain letters? A couple hands. You're kind of weird then. Um, here's one I got recently. Um, the header is this, computerized survey of the expectations of church members when it comes to the perfect pastor, all right? The perfect pastor preaches 15 minutes and includes all that the Bible has to say about the subject, condemns everyone else's sin except yours, never says anything you might disagree with, works 5 a.m. until midnight, gets eight hours of sleep to stay healthy. He's also the janitor after each service. He prepares a sermon every week for 40 years. He never repeats an idea, an illustration, or a joke. He makes $60 a week, wears good clothes, buys good books, and gives $50 a week to the poor. He's 28 years old, and he's been in ministry for 30 years. He has a burning desire to work with teenager, teenagers, and he spends all of his time with the elderly. He's a close personal friend to every member. He makes 15 visits a day to church families, shut-ins, and the hospitalized, spends all his time evangelizing the unchurched, and he's always in his office when you need him. He has four kids who never get in trouble, a wife who cooks like Betty Crocker, counsels like Joyce brother, Brothers, plays, uh, prays like Anna, and looks like Marilyn Monroe without making anyone jealous. If your pastor does not measure up to these expectations, simply send this chain letter to six other churches whose pastors fail to reach these reasonable standards, then bundle up your pastor, send him to the church at the top of the list, and you'll receive 1,693 pastors. Expectations. We all have them. We all have them. Ever heard this definition of disappointment? Frustrated expectation. Frustrated expectation. Now I want to set, uh, share a personal and a little bit painful story of disappointment with you. And it took place this past Thanksgiving, 2020. And I was sitting outside on my patio with my dad, who's 79 years old, and we were having a conversation, and he threw out a statement um, that threw me for a loop. And here's what he said. He said, Brad, I don't know how to be your father right now. I don't know how to be your father. Now, what made this more difficult for me is over the past several months, I've been on a personal journey of intentional fathering with my children. I have been uh, leaning in, talking about uh, questions when they will leave our house, what values, uh, what tools, what wisdom will I deposit into their lives. And so I've just been thinking about it, you know, 
thinking about the dinners, thinking about symbols that I will put into their hands so that they'll be able to take the next path. And so even in that last few weeks, men, we have been journeying together uh, in this process. Uh, Everymanaleader.com, the men have been coming together. They've been thinking about how they can become kings and priests in their homes and how can they lead intentionally. And in this process, one of the exercises that I had to participate in was writing a tribute letter to my father, telling him all the things that I'm thankful for, everything that I'm grateful for, uh, what he had put into my life, what he had given to me. And all this, and then this statement that was a little bit tough to take. And if I was honest, for the last several years, I felt disappointed. I felt like there were some expectations that I had for him in relationship to parts of my life, parts of my children's lives. And I was, I was frustrated, right? Like disappointment is a relational reality for all of us as human beings. Relationship requires wrestling. And what happens in disappointment is we start to have these expectations, they get frustrated, discouragement sets in, and then darkness sets in. Where I was experiencing with my father a, a place that I couldn't see anything. Like for an extended period of time where I couldn't see anything that I was grateful for, anything that I was thankful for because I was fixated on what I was not receiving in the relationship. I was disappointed. Disappointment blinds us. Scripturally, if you look at a couple of places in Luke 24, uh, when Jesus appears to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus after he has been crucified, the disciples don't recognize him. And I was reading that passage and the Lord was gently asking me, do you know why they couldn't see Jesus? No. Read it again. And as I read it, I, I saw what is true for all of us. I saw that they were disappointed. Jesus had been con condemned and he had suffered a painful death and their hopes had been shattered and their hearts were shattered. They were disappointed. And Jesus had to walk with them. He had to talk to them through the Hebrew scriptures, the writing of, writings of Moses. He had to sit down with them in fellowship, break bread, and then the blindness lifted. Think about Job. Job was disappointed, rightfully so. He had experienced some loss and some difficulty. And for chapter after chapter after chapter, he is dealing with disappointment. And he has friends who come along and give him misguided information about God. You've done something wrong. He's like, no, I'm innocent. I'm just, I'm upright. And he's processing and one friend comes in and speaks, and then God speaks in 38 through 41. Are you the one who laid the earth's foundation? This holy moment of a father speaking to his son, and, and Job responds, I should just cover my mouth. But disappointment. Dealing with disappointment is vital to relationship. It's vital to being a human being. It's vital to being able to walk through this life and to understand the depth of what God is doing. And I had to deal with my disappointment. 
And as I began to write to my dad all the things that I was thankful for, the things that I admired about him, the values, even though I was two years old and my parents got divorced, so I saw my dad just a couple of weeks a year, but the blindness started to lift. And I began to see everything so clearly. I was aware when he and I would get together and he would put his arm around me. I remember the karate movies. I remember the times that we'd play golf and go fishing, things that are so prized to me that like I had forgotten in some way because I was so fixated seeing things from my perspective. And then I started to see from his perspective where I was and where he was and he was feeling disappointed in himself. And I just reminded him and as I shared that letter with him, he just, he just cried. I mean, he heaved cried and I cried. Do you have anyone that you feel disappointed with? Anything that you feel disappointed with? Are you capable of admiring them? Like truly being thankful for them and feeling that they are so special to you with a log of disappointment in your eye? We are uh, in a series titled The Real Jesus. And yes, we're talking about the Jewishness of Jesus. And our goal is not to become more Jewish. Our goal is to become more like Jesus, who is Jewish. It's not just simply the Jewish roots. It's the Jesus roots. And the Hebraic perspective, like the crux of the Hebraic perspective that Jesus understood foundationally was covenant, was relationship, was deep and meaningful connection. It was the blessing of relationship. And I believe what God wants to restore and recover in our hearts for ourselves, for our homes, and for his house is a restoration of respect, admiration, reverence, honor, esteem. This is the title of my message. And if I'm honest, I really felt like the Lord gave it to me and I wasn't real excited about it, but here it is. The rocket fuel of relationship. Relationship. By definition, the state of being connected. Like we were created for connection. We crave deep and meaningful connection. The dictionary defines friendship. One attached to another by affection or esteem. Honor, esteem, reverence, admiration, awe, the stuff that relationships thrive on. I want you to consider something for just a second. That the most deep and meaningful things that we experience on this earth were first established in heaven. Right? Things that exist here that are in actuality a truer, greater reality, they already existed in heaven. Heaven is the substance, earth is the shadow. Like God is a father. That's not an earthly, like something patterned after earthly fathers, right? God's not striving to relate to us like in our reality. It's the other way around, but that's not how we think. We tend to process and struggle to process God as a father because of our earthly fathers. It's downside up thinking. And in order to grab this concept, we need upside down thinking because things like community, relationship, 
Fathering, they start there. That gives me hope. If you didn't have a father who was consistent or there was abandonment or there was rejection or there, there was pain and abuse, instead of having to look from this perspective, we actually can understand what a father is, what relationship is, what community is, because the Trinity operates, we're going to see, in this honor, respect, and admiration. It's crucial. But our downside up thinking has eroded our ability to understand relationship. It's subtle, but it's, you know, in our culture, like, hey, how do you know so-and-so? We're Facebook friends. As if some deep work of meaningful connection and, and, and wrestling took place in bloop, like, bloop, unlike, bloop, follow, bloop, unfollow, like, wow. However, embedded deep in our DNA by our creator is connection, is relationship. Healthy relationships thrive, thrive. And the text show us from Genesis to Revelation that what God is after, whether you understand this or not, what God is after is relationship, his pursuit and friendship and intimacy and connection with us. And so today I just want to share three reminders. Three reminders about this. The first one is this. Relationship, it thrives on honor, esteem, respect, reverence, admiration, and awe. That's a long first point, I know. But you understand this. Spouses, if you're a parent, if you have friends, you understand this. What we appreciate, appreciates goes up in value. When you appreciate and admire your spouse, their value goes up. But I will say this, being married for 20 years, it is very common and regular to be disappointed with your spouse, to have expectations and no, no humor but just the little things that you have expectations over that blind us. And we end up being darkened from seeing anything good. See it play out all the time. But I want to introduce you to a phrase that might make you flinch. And here it is. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. I and mean, what's your reaction to that phrase? Cause you to cower. Cause you to think about everything you've ever done wrong in your life. Well, I'd like to paint the biblical picture for you. Let's start off Proverbs 22, 4. It says this, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Psalm 25, 14, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. The phrase is used hundreds of times throughout scripture. Now, the admonition to fear God, it antagonizes people because they think it means to be afraid of him. They think obligation, restrictive rules, threats of punishment, damnation, sort of archaic. But this isn't what it means. And we must distinguish in, in our understanding the fear of God from the fear of divine punishment. The fear of the Lord is not the fear of punishment. It is the awe of admiration, 
honor, respect, and relational reverence of God. His magnificence, his love, his friendship, his intimate concern for our lives, treating the relationship as special, It's not something common, distinct, set apart, or holy. It's the rocket fuel of relationship, certainly with God, but also with humanity, with each other. Now, there's a couple of uh, uh, phrases and concepts that I I read through from uh, Jewish commentators. Let me just read them. The love of God and the fear of God are considered twin concepts in the Hebraic perspective. Jewish commentators say that ahava, which is a Hebrew word for love, and yirah, fear, Hebrew word for fear, they're the two wings on which the Torah soars through the heavens. Is that crazy to think about? Listen, think about this. The love of God and the fear of God. When I was growing up, uh, we sang a lot of songs about being afraid of God, okay? I didn't hear much about the love of God. Over the last 10 years, I've I've heard a lot of songs about the love of God. Now these are held in balance. Here's the way that I would say it. To fully grasp and comprehend the love of God, really the love of someone, there has to be esteem and honor and respect. When there isn't esteem and honor and respect, this love common. Yeah, God loves me. Mm -hmm. And we treat it as such. When someone says to you, I love you, love you, brother. Someone says that to me in the, uh, in the lobby. I love you, brother. If I don't know you, I mean, I can, I can grasp that you're made in the image of God and you have God's likeness. But when we share in relationship and connection, that means a whole lot more. If there's a negative aspect to the fear of the Lord, it may be regarded as this, the fear of damage to your heart and soul, the fear that missing the mark, that sin will blind you to God's passion for you, the way that God treats you because you'll think he's distant and detached and you'll miss the relationship. So I want you to get this. Hebraic spirituality was rooted in reverence. And it's something that God is asking for us to restore and to recover in ourselves, in our homes, in his house. Because we're going to read in just a second some things that transpire as, relative, as, as it relates to this. But let me give you some subpoints. Jesus' life and ministry taught this to us. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom, wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he, speaking of Jesus, will delight in the fear of the Lord. Matthew 6, 9, Jesus teaching the framework, the way in which to pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name distinct, set apart, to be highly regarded, to hold in high esteem. Be your name. John 14, 10, listen to the way that Jesus talks about his father. The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the father living in me who is doing his work. Remember Jesus at the garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours. Be done. Honor. 
respect, appreciation, esteem. The early church embodied it. Acts uh, 9.31, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Acts 10.2, speaking of Cornelius, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. It's foundational with God the Father and the patriarchs and the matriarchs of our faith. Jeremiah 32, 40, God speaking. I will make an everlasting covenant. That means it won't end. With them, I'll never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me. Not to cower. I will inspire them to honor and to admire me so that they will never turn away from me. That's God's heart. Exodus 1.17, speaking of these Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua, says the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. They risked their lives. How? How did they risk their lives? Because they honored God above Pharaoh. They honored him that they were willing to risk their lives, and to them it didn't even seem like a risk because there was so much appreciation and admiration for God. You know, Scripture tells us to honor the king. But first, and as a priority, is to put God in his place. The Bible understands the fear of God to be liberating. You know, in Exodus 20, 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. I mean, it sounds kind of odd, right? It's interesting at least. It's a paradox, paradox, a statement that attracts attention because it seems contradictory. Fear not that you might have the fear of God. God has come to test you, right? In order that the fear of God will always be with you. Clearly, there's something more there. Don't be afraid. Honor esteem, admire, appreciate, place significant value on, that you'll be tested. This, this word test in Hebrew, I love it. It's, it. It means to lift up, nisayon. And basically it means that when you learn to honor God and place him, the one who has all wisdom and all understanding, the one who sits high above, the one who is the beginning and the end, when you place him in that proper perspective, he puts things on us, not to crush us, but to build our muscles. Because there are things that he places on us because that is the way we grow. That is the way that we grow our muscles. It happens to be the root word of miracle. How do you look at circumstances? How do you look at weight that you're carrying right now? And God's desire is that you would learn to understand how to respect and admire him at such a place as a father whose greatest desire is to see you fulfill everything that he meant when he created you. Second thing is this, respect and reverence in relationship reap results. I'm going to let the text speak for itself, all right? Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord, he encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Psalm 34, 9, Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him 
lack nothing. Psalm 25, 14, I read it. Before the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Man, I want God to speak to me. I want him to share secrets. There it is. Psalms 111.10, also Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Psalms 147.11. The Lord's delight is in those who fear him. Those who put their hope in his unfailing love. Again, Proverbs 22.4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Malachi 3, 16 through 17. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. Isaiah 33, 6. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Relationship thrives. This isn't, this isn't so far from us to grasp this. Here's the question for you. Are you getting these types of results in your relationship with him? Do you feel as if the, his covenant is being made known to you? Do you feel as if life, honor, and riches, like just falling off the bone, so to speak, for you? What would you consider in your own life is respect and reverence part of your practice, not, this isn't shame and obligation, this isn't condemnation. I'm just asking as it pertains to this meaningful connection with the one who contains all wisdom, do you prize it? The last thing I just want you to remember is respect and reverence, it requires three things. Choice, learning, in practice, the fear of God is a choice. It's not a mystical experience. Proverbs 1, 28 and 29. Then they'll call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. It's, it's a decision that we make. I mean, what's at stake? Insight into his covenant. Wisdom. A depth of friendship. All those things that I read in, in those passages, those are the things that are state, at stake relationally as it pertains to grasping a hold of this. The fear of God can be learned. It's a walk of intimacy. It's not, it's not a run. It's not a silver bullet. It's a walk. It's not one transforming moment moment. It's a, it's a learned behavior for us. Proverbs 34, 11, it says, come my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he's to write for himself on a scroll, a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him. He's to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn 
to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law or instruction in these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left, then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Deuteronomy 31.12. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of his instructions. Their children who do not know these instructions must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. We can learn this. We can choose this. This is a relational reality for us. And last, the fear of God is a practice. Let me remind you, Jesus told us in Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that person is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Is this your practice? Is, like Jeff said earlier, your practice to prize all of your comings and goings and doings, you're not bad. But do you ever feel that you become so important both in all the good things that are happening and all the negative things that are happening in your life that you just are thinking so often that you're so me-centered God's greatest desire to have a, is to have a deep and meaningful relationship with you. And he doesn't make it hard. He doesn't make it difficult. He lays it out in front of us to just say, prize the relationship because I prize you. You know, I love this, you know, John 3, 16, uh, descripted this way. For God so valued held in such high regard the world that he gave his only begotten son. He so esteemed you. He thought of you as precious. You know, well, well Brad, I'm not, I'm not very precious. You don't know what I've done. Listen, you know how you determine someone's value? It's based on what someone's willing to pay. And the God of the universe spilt the blood of his son because that's what he thinks about you. And all this thinking that you've been doing, let me tell you this, some of those thoughts aren't your thoughts. They, they've, they've been there for a while. They're, they're not yours, but you've grasped a hold of those lies and you've been living as if they're true. Meanwhile, there is, there is a father who speaks over you, who scripture says, Jeff said it, his precious thoughts about you are like the grains of sand. That many. I mean, from time to time, I like to just go like, God, um, can you just tell me like six of those? Like just six. But if you could unleash all the grains of sand so I could know, because I'm having a hard time grasping that. Has, has it become so common has it, just, has it just gotten sort of common, the relationship? I mean, how does that work, husbands and wives, right? When we just become roommates, 
And they're not special and we stop admiring and we stop respecting and we stop standing in awe of our spouses. Or what about our children? I mean, the Bible says that they're a gift from God. You know, if I had to look on a scale of one to a hundred, how often I'm walking in that reality. If you ask my kids, they're going to say something different probably. But this is what we're invited into. Romans uh, 1, 20 through 23. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, the creation of the world, His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, meaning that we can see them in creation. Remember, Jesus often withdraw, withdrew to the wilderness to pray. I don't know about you, but I find that going into creation evokes a very visceral understanding of the intelligent design of God. It also allows me and affords me the opportunity to hunt and fish more regularly with my wife because I come back and my soul is filled up. Anyway, sorry, took a detour there. It, uh, having been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Like, it just kind of happens. Right? So I want you to consider for just a second um, a couple of things. Like, how do you interact with the word of God, the word that became flesh, right? This love letter that from Genesis to Revelation speaks of meaningful, deep connection. Does it get your attention? Do you have so many apps on your phone pinging you for daily scripture verses that it's just become so common that you don't prize this very, I mean, beautiful, incredible, book. Just how often does it get your attention? Consider the bride of Christ, the body, the church. I mean, how do you treat it? No shame, no condemnation. I mean, is it like, oh, oh I got to get ready. <coughs> you just feel a sense of like, oh, rush, 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 rush. Or do you come prepared? Like if you showed up to a date with your bride, the way that you come to his bride, would, it, would they feel special? Again, like I said, no shame. I just want you to consider for just a second. What about your posture in the presence of the father, the king, the king of all kings? Like what's your posture on a consistent basis? Daily. Like, what is it? Is it special? Is there anything special about it or is it just common? How do you treat God's prized possession? The ones who bear the likeness and image of God, people. I mean, if we were to think about the last little while here, it seems we might have lost our way just a little bit. Someone doesn't have our same viewpoint. They don't think like we think. They're not even common they might even be considered trash to most of us. Is that how God treats people? Your coworkers, your boss, 
How do you talk about them? How do you talk about your children? How do you talk about the people that are surrounding you? Like it's, it's really important. What about the marginalized and the elderly? Like do you see them as the prized possession of God or, or are they just common? I love uh, this, the Hasidic Jews in the crib of babies, newborn babies, they put pictures of the elderly rock star rabbis in their crib. You can Google it and see this picture because they prize the elderly. I mean, deeply embedded in, in the Hebraic uh, perspective is honor for the elderly. Our, our culture seems to be prizing younger and younger, the Mark Zuckerbergs and, and other young but if you really truly grasp experience and wisdom, like sitting around you, how often do you take somebody out to eat in their 80s? Like how often? When was that? Like they're supposed to feel honored. We are a five-generation church. Okay, again, no condemnation and shame. Let's recover and restore the thing that brings rocket fuel to both our relationship with God and with humanity. Now, I started off telling you that I was, I was disappointed. And so I wrote this letter to my dad. And I thought about this after I did it. And I decided to write a letter to my heavenly father. And so I woke up one morning and I just took this posture, and in a moment, I'm going to invite you to this posture, not because it's magic, um, but it is a posture that is biblical, that in, invites, I believe, perspective, peace, a recognition of power. But as I sat in this posture, I just opened up my heart and just wrote like I was just a little kid, okay? I just wrote, and I just want to share with you what I wrote. Because I think it'll, it will do something for you. And I just said, you know, Father, I'm troubled by the entitled, spoiled, rotten attitude that I have had. And that permeates our culture at times. It's like my emphasis often and only is on what you have done and did for me and do for me. And that's not the relationship and friendship that I want with you. Now, as a father, you're awesome. You protect me and defend me. You allow me to stumble. You offer guidance. You show constant compassion and you're gentle. You're so slow to anger. And you are kind. I mean, like, you are kind. Full of wisdom. You provide me detailed instructions. You provide constant sweet reminders. You're present. You're strong. You're always there for me. You're faithful. Like, you know me. Like, you, you know me. Like nobody else. And you still, you still love me like nobody else. You seriously are amazing. You're my place of safety. You're my place of refuge, my place of rescue. You're good, like really good. You made me and I'm yours. Your love doesn't fail. It's not flimsy. Your love fights for me. You're in constant pursuit of me with goodness and mercy. You keep promises. You care about our relationship. Like you care about our relationship. You act with justice. You care for the marginalized. 
You're righteous. Then I ended, I want to be just like you when I grow up. Then I read in Psalms 103, David, like, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and he crowns me with love and tender mercy. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. Listen, he will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Like if you're thinking about your sins right now, he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord, he's like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, who respect him, who will simply admire and treat him as special. He knows how weak we are. He remembers we're only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we're gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. Now I know it might seem a little bit different for you, but I'm just going to invite you and challenge you, and you may not be able to do this physically. But would you just take this posture right where you are? Would you get on your knees just for this moment? I want you to see and experience something. If you're here, maybe because of poor and abusive parenting that's left you with the image of a father as someone to be feared, or you're terrified and you're threatened of God because you're thinking about all your shortcomings because of poor teaching that was put upon you as a child, I want you to just spend a few moments telling God, like, I'm afraid of you, God. And I wish I wasn't. Like voice it in your own words and tell him that you just want things to be different between the two of you. Like let him just wash over you through story, through moments, through things that you've experienced. Maybe it was a hike or just the beauty of a mountain range or little children or the birth of your children or pictures of your grandchildren. Connect those with the activity of God. God speaks to us in our imaginations and our thoughts. And it's for us to discern and see his voice clearly in those through his scripture. Can you hear Jesus calling you friend? Or is it the mistakes and the disappointment that needs to be dealt with that's blinding you. And you're wondering, you don't know what I've done, Brad. No, but I know how God responds to those. The story in Luke 15 of the prodigal father, the extravagant father whose son is wayward and he's 
screwed up so many times and the father looks for him and runs after him, runs to him, throws a robe of righteousness around his neck, puts a ring of authority on his finger and he puts shoes on his feet and he throws a party. That's the God that we're in relationship with, the one who deserves all honor, all esteem, all admiration. So we're going to respond in the manner that is due him. So I just invite you to close your eyes. God speak to you in this moment. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Posture, like I said, it's not magic, but it is biblical, it is powerful, it is given to us to set things in proper order and proper perspective. We can easily become the God of our own world, think that it's all about us, that we're so important. I just want to invite you over the next seven days to just take this posture. There'll be seasons of time where things seem so important to me, distractions, disappointment that I'm dealing with. And so during those seasons, I will just, first thing that I do is just take that posture. I'm going to ask you to do that. I feel like God wants to recover and restore something in this house that every one of those passages we read, he wants to unleash in this church. I believe in his body, but I'm saying this. I feel like the Lord is saying this to us. And it's a choice for us. It's a learning for us. It's a practice for us. I'm gonna invite our altar ministry team to come down to the front. Let me just say a few things. If you're here and you are feeling the weight of disappointment, let me encourage you like Job. Let me encourage you 
like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, to actually deal with your disappointment. Say it. Disappointed in my grandkids. Disappointed in this person or that person. It makes you human. Sometimes the, the depth of that disappointment requires 30 plus chapters like Job or the book of Lamentations. We, we have thought that that was not spiritual, but it is because disappointment will lead to discouragement, will lead to darkness, will lead to deception and ultimately to destruction. If you're feeling destruction in your life, I can guarantee you there is disappointment. God means for us to both deal with that with others and obviously to come in contact with who he is. How did Jesus handle the disappointment of Peter denying him? He chose to trust him again. He chose to risk relationally because that's who God is. He gave him a position of authority. I don't know about you, but this is the, this is the relationship on the table, people. Like, we get to wake up every day and experience this. Let's prize it. Let's honor it. Let's esteem it. And if that's not been your practice, it's okay. God brings no shame to you. He just says, like, it's really good. So if you need prayer for anything at all, we'll stay here as long as you need us to encourage you, invite you to step into this posture. It's biblical. You can find it. The Hebrew word is barak, B-A-R-A-K. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. Father, we thank you for moments to encounter you, to experience you. This isn't something to endure or evaluate. It's something to experience. Your presence, you inviting us in. God, I pray for a measure of relational clarity and weight as we see how incredible it is to interact with your love letter, with your words, to call you friend and to walk in friendship with you and in intimacy. Help us. We choose today to say yes to you and to walk with you, God. If there's anybody here that does not have that type of relationship or connection, God, I pray that you tug on their heart, that they would see you very clearly and they would be able to respond and just pray with someone today in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.